and welcome to the Season 2 Recap of Setting the Tone, an ER Retrospective. My name is Elizabeth, and joining me as always today are Lauren. Ahoy hoy. And Daniel. Hey. Also joining us today as our Master of Ceremonies, please welcome in Jake of the Popular Court. Hey guys, first time, long time. Happy to be here. <laughs> second time, long time. I was gonna Thank say, you very much. Second time, long time. Already messed it up. 15 seconds in. <laughs> if you joined us for the Season 1 wrap-up episode, then you'll remember Jake from there. And, of course, we name drop him on every single episode. But, um... Basically, Jake is going to serve as our kind of MC or host of this uh, series. We're going to break these down sort of like an award show, the Tonys, as we're affectionately calling them. Um, so we've got several different categories of stuff relating to season two that we're going to go through here. And uh, Jake has so kindly agreed to kind of facilitate that discussion so that the three of us get to just kind of take a step back and uh, appreciate the season as a whole. So with that being said, I'm going to hand the reins over to my good friend Jake here, and he's going to take us the rest of the way. Gang, I didn't think we would make it, but here we are in season two. We got more Bulentin. We got our rascally uh, Dr. Carter that we know and love. But I want to talk, before we get in depth with it for the Setting the Tony Awards, I want to talk big picture season two. Lizzie, give me your overall thoughts about how season two came together. There was a lot more misses than I thought there would be. Honestly. Really? Yeah. There was, I mean, like overall the season, I'd probably give the season overall about a seven, seven out of 10. Like there was a lot of very, there was a lot of filler in this season. It felt like not as quite as much as season one. So they're definitely like trending in the right direction, but I felt like there was too much filler, too many episodes that didn't quite hit the mark. Then, you know, I thought it was nice so that they tried some things like the weird, the weird Susan episodes. I thought it was weird. Like I thought it was nice <laughs> that they at least tried. The great Susan episodes, you mean? I didn't like them, and you know what? That's why we're here is to voice our opinions on old media. So <laughs> this is me voicing my opinions on an old television show. There was definitely a lot to love here as well. It wasn't obviously all bad. There was a lot of there was like I felt like there was more showcase episodes, like more episodes that really stood out versus season one, uh, especially going back and watching them. You know, Hell and High Water, the series premiere. I mean, the season premiere, season finale. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. There's a there's a whole bunch in there that I that I absolutely love, but you know you kind of had to you kind of had to play around. You kind of had to wade through the so-so stuff. Um, I was also really happy to see a lot of the character development that happened this that happened this year. Um, I'm already I love Susan even more after rewatching this particular season. Um, her and Chloe's storyline. I as much as Chloe is an infuriating character, I loved. Susan's growth through that storyline and seeing her just become into her own as, you know, a relatively confident uh, physician. And even though she kind of gets shoved around and, you know, her at least even being offered the chance to be chief resident, even if she didn't end up taking it, you know, it was, it was great to see. And it was also great to see Carter get his ass kicked in the right way that he needs to get, that it needs to be kicked for him to become the Carter that we know and love. So overall, it's a good, not great season, in my opinion. Now, Danny, uh, what what about your general thoughts about season two? Do you feel the same way about uh, Susan talking to nobody for entire episodes <laughs> of time? I, I, I we definitely Lizzie and I disagree pretty pretty heavily on those episodes for sure. I those were some of my favorites of the season. I thought that it was a nice uh, showcase of her, not only as a character but also Ser- Sherry Stringfield as an actress. Uh, so that, but I do agree with kind of the overall sentiment surrounding the season as a whole. It was a season that was um, 
felt like it never really found its um like stride or its groove until like really close to the end like i would say like the last maybe not even the last third of the season is where it really starts to to hit a groove the whole first half and a little bit more of the season is just a lot of like ups and downs like we went we start off the season pretty strong i feel um and then we hit kind of a lull right after Hell and High Water, which I think is episode seven. So from about season, from about episode seven through, I would say, 15 or so is just a lot of like middling to not very good episodes. So th- there's definitely a lot of filler in this season. And I think if you took it, th- the only reason that I think season two feels short, feels less fillery than season one is because there's fewer episodes i think if you look at percentage of filler i think that it's probably just as bad if not worse than season one as far as that goes but yeah i think overall it's like it's a good but not great season i think is i would agree with that assessment and because we live in a land of number ratings uh lizzie gave it a seven out of ten what's your rating i think seven out of ten would be probably fair if a little bit on the high side for me i think i would put it at like a six out of ten with a couple of like eight to nine out of ten episodes mixed in there but the the filler ones just bring that overall average down for me to about a six to a seven i think that's pretty fair and we got to get some big mom energy on this season because i feel like this was a season of pretty big mom energy so lauren i'm dying to ask you what's your overall thoughts on this season well, first off, as always, I'm the middleman here on the show, and I was going to go with a 6.5, so go figure. No one's shocked. Um, <laughs> the enlightened off, centrist de- of ER. Oh, but of course. Um, I mean, I think both Daniel and Lizzie made a lot of the key points that I was going to touch on, is that really we start to see the show finding its legs. We're finding characters really getting into their stride. We know who they are. We don't have to waste a lot more time on introductions. We can really just start getting into the drama of the ER. And I think that's part of why we end up with some clumsy filler episodes is because the show writers don't really know what to do with that. They're like, okay, we spent all this time setting these characters up. Now what do we do with them? Mm-hmm. And it just, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it though. I think overall it was a pretty middling season, but it definitely has some really good standout ones. Obviously we all mentioned Hell or High Water. Hell and High Water? Hell and High Hell Water. And high water. One day I'll get our episode titles right, gang. Um, I record a podcast about ER and I don't know the show titles. Um, but yeah, like obviously there are those stick out episodes that are just worth noting. But on the whole, I think it moved everything along the way it needed to. But it could have done it in a much more concise or streamlined way that really would have gotten us to the same point without so much filler and given us room for some more knockout episodes. Yeah, I think... Well, just to chime in one more little thing. I think this season's so far, like, ha- has been, like, the biggest, like, proponent of, like, why TV seasons should only be 13, 15 episodes mm-hmm. max. Yep. Because yeah. you could easily trim out seven, eight, nine, almost ten, probably ten episodes out each of here. Season. That's and what we're noticing each season so far is, like, we're, like, six of these could have gone easily. Eight, yeah. if you're being generous. It's like a case study in why you don't need to do this. Like it's, it's why the Netflix model works. Yeah, because there's there is just a lot of bloat and a lot of. Um, it's funny, like with this season in particular, I feel I feel like we had a lot of instances of storylines being given extra significance that maybe 
didn't exactly need it and then other storylines um kind of getting the short shaft for example like even though we we liked her and we liked the storyline the lucy lou storyline did that really need three episodes because i don't think it did it was really mostly there as a facility to get doug and harper to fuck to make carter and harper (laughs) break up and get back together like there wasn't really yeah i mean it was never a main focus storyline but like you know that we got three episodes worth of development out of that one storyline when i feel like they could have condensed that down into just one maybe two if you stretched it and contrast that with uh ruby which you know we we all talked about what like a big momentous storyline that was and then i think we were all sort of shocked at how minor it felt in the grand scheme of the episodes like it was there is no signature ruby episode at least not in this first interaction remains to be seen when he comes back in 10 seasons or so but it, it, there was no like there was just nothing to like grab onto other there were little moments here and there but there isn't a sing, there, there's not the ruby episode where you can be like hey go watch this episode so you can understand right. the significance of this storyline which is still a great storyline but it just the substance of it didn't seem to match up to what was in my memory of its significance. So that was yeah. I think, interesting. And I feel like a lot of those filler episodes, a lot of them had some really great key moments that you could have easily condensed down into two or three killer episodes. Yeah. Yeah. The focus just seemed to be off in certain ways. Like they picked the wrong things to focus on in certain instances. There were a lot of times I can remember where we were like, man, I would have liked to have seen them do more with this one particular patient that they just sort of lose track of and or even more even more fleshed out with the loretta storyline i love having her come back throughout the season and having her be such a you know friendly and tragic face Mm -hmm. but i would have loved if we had like expounded upon it a little more yeah stuff like that now for a i mean everyone seems to be you know slightly above average we've gotten some sixes we've gotten a seven we've gotten a 6.5 but I, I feel like this season in particular, and it's not just because the note's in front of my face right now, I feel like this season won more awards, or at least was nominated for more things, than the season previous. So, Lauren or Lizzie, do you want to take us through some of the awards that the show won? Yeah, I'll gladly do it, and I'm just going to let you all know, a little sneak peek behind the curtain, our notes say one and nom, so if I <laughs> screw this up, bear with me, because they look very similar, so... Work with me, fam. Um, so the awards for the seasons, actors, and episodes, I'm just going to read these out so we can see how impressive the season really was, aside from our sixes, 6.5s, and 7s. We have Outstanding Drama Series. They won. Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Drama Series, Juliana Margulies. She was nominated. Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Drama Series, Noah Wiley, was nominated. Outstanding Lead Actress in a Drama Series, Sherry Stringfield, was nominated. And Outstanding Lead Actor in a Drama Series, George Clooney slash Anthony Edwards were both nominated. Now, quick question. Mm -hmm. Would you consider Sherry Stringfield to be a lead actress, but Noah Wiley to be a supporting actor in this show? I guess it's kind of hard with how this ensemble cast is, but... I would say so because of the increased focus on um, Susan this this season. I would call her the main... main uh, the female fem- lead. Yeah, the main female lead over Juliana Margulies. Okay, that's fair. I just thought I'd ask because that kind of stood out. I think Noah Wiley gets demoted because he's going up against George Clooney and Anthony Edwards, so they probably feel like he yeah. has a better chance of winning if they put him into the supporting actor category. 
but didn't work. Yeah. Only got nominated. Outstanding individual achievement for writing in a drama series went to John Wells for The Healer and Neil Bear for Hell in High Water. This was nominated. Um, outstanding individual achievement for directing in a drama series went to Mimi Later for The Healers and Chris Chulak for Hell in High Water, also a nomination. And outstanding guest actress in a drama series for to Penny Fuller for Welcome Back Carter, and that again was a nomination. So I think only one win. Mm-hmm. Yep, only in one. In a win. sea of nominations. And were these the Emmys? Yeah, these are all Emmys. Okay. Yeah, these are all Emmys. So I mean, they only won one, but it was the big one. So you know, I'm sure they weren't. Nobody went home crying, but this is definitely a, a, like the public. I mean, as, as if the viewership numbers thirty plus million every week didn't clue you in, like the public at large has caught on to how good the show is by this point and the results are starting to bear fruit in the form of awards and this will by no means be the end of it we will be certainly seeing that they were i think a mainstay at the emmys all through the 90s and well into the 2000s as well i mean the one that really stands out to me is the fact that george clooney was just nominated and didn't win for lead actor in a drama series especially after his performance in hell or high water yeah, I mean, I think he w- should have gotten nominated. I mean, I thought Anthony Edwards should have gotten nominated back in season one, or, uh, or rather should have won back in season one for uh, Love's Labor Lost, and he didn't. So, you know, it- it's kind of continuing the theme of just, like, not getting recognized, or, I mean, getting recognized, but not getting the hardware. I mean, he got beat by Dennis Franz as Detective Sipowitz on NYPD Blue. It's like, Boo. I don't know. <laughs> like, that's that's kind of a shitty... Uh, like the other the other people that were nominated that year were Andre Brower for Homicide, uh, of course Anthony Edwards, and then Jimmy Smits, um, also for NYPD Blue. So I mean, looking at that group, I think you could have easily made the case for either Clooney or Anthony Edwards. But I don't know. I didn't. I also didn't watch very much NYPD Blue, if any. So I couldn't tell you. The only thing I know is that uh, Dennis Franz shows his ass a lot on that show. But. Now, we have a lot of people come through the doors of County General Hospital, and there's some that go in that never come out. And no, Benton doesn't chop them up or anything. There's no murder conspiracy. Uh, It's just characters that we said goodbye to this season. Danny, do you want to maybe run down some of the list of the people that we had to say goodbye to this season? I would be happy to. And I I do want to point out, this is a change from the season one wrap-up because our favorite pedantic mom friend, Lauren, took issue with my list after season one that not all of these people got bobbed and she was right so i decided to you split nailed them up it to characters we said goodbye to and then after we finish with this we will get into the characters who got bobbed including bob herself spoilers but um speaking strictly about characters that we actually got to say goodbye to or got uh, a maybe not always a satisfying ending to their story but they did get an ending to their story and uh, we we know what happens to them, or, or we can at least imagine it. Um, it's kind of a shorter list, uh, surprisingly. Uh, first up, we have Raul, who we were also introduced... Actually, all three of these characters we were introduced to in Season 1, or Season 2, and they are their, their entire story is encapsulated within Season 2. Uh, starting with Raul, he was uh, the paramedic who was uh, Shep's partner on the ambulance, and he, uh, unfortunately, and quite horrifically, passes away in Season 2, Episode 16, uh, titled The Healers, one of the better episodes of Season 2. And um, just, whew, the the makeup work in that episode. 
Can we talk about that for a second? Oh, yeah, you God. should not eat your dinner while watching this episode like I did. It was com- complete regret. Yeah, lots of lots of um, big, big close-up shots on full thickness, third-degree burns. Um, just, you know, shout-out to that guy for putting up with, you know, having to put all that. I'm sure that, that took forever to get made up like that. And, you know, the, the, whole, the whole episode is... Very, very sad and very, but very well done. Like it's a, I would say it's probably this season's equivalent to Love's Labor Lost in terms of like emotionality and how like you can, you can appreciate that it's a good episode, but also be like, I don't want to watch that ever again. (laughs) So, um, so that's where we said goodbye to Raul. Moving on to our second character that we said goodbye to this season, we have Harper Tracy, which uh, Harper was, of course, introduced in the season two premiere as the, uh, well, she's introduced as part of a group of medical students, but that quickly gets whittled down to, I think, originally two, and then very quickly after that gets whittled down to just her. She's the only medical student where we are told we need to care about. And um, she spends a great deal of the season as Carter's kind of main love interest as Lauren mentioned a little bit earlier she kind of has a brief detour with uh Doug that kind of causes Carter to spiral for a couple of episodes and then eventually turn into a real shitty person and she ends up dumping him and we end up losing her in season two episode I believe it's 20 it's the one that um, as of the day we're recording this just came out um, fevers of unknown origin and um, we were all pretty upset when we watched this episode originally when we went to record it um, because she's a character that I think we all sort of grew to really appreciate I know I did grew to really appreciate this season and she basically just kind of gets jobbed out like she has her big moment where she dumps Carter and then the very next episode she's on screen for a total of about maybe 90 seconds uh, across a couple of scenes and then she's gone forever and uh, it's a huge bummer so I don't know like I feel like we one last time because this is the you know she's a character who's there for most of the season and given a pretty prominent role but she doesn't make any returns we're never going to see Harper again so any final thoughts on Harper as a character just from kind of the group like I said in our interview with Christine, um, to me, Harper really represented kind of the idea of a young professional woman and, you know, being able to advocate for yourself and what that might look like even when, you know, you're not necessarily making the most popular decisions or, you know, you're really struggling trying to get your footing in something that's new and scary and just mistakes get made and she does a really good job just advocating for herself and I think that's really important and it's something that was really overlooked the first time I watched this a couple years ago that like our rewatch it really made me appreciate her as a character a lot more having to look at her with a magnifying glass yeah I want to echo what Lauren said um, about appreciating her more on this rewatch because it's like I was aware of her character and I was aware of like her general storyline with Carter but like actually doing what we're doing here on this podcast and like diving into the nitty-gritty every single week on every single episode really made me appreciate uh both the job christina lee's did with her and um just car and just i almost said carper uh harper (laughs) i I do it i do it in my head all the time (laughs) just appreciate harper as a character all that much more God damn it! I wish we had more. We she st- she had stayed on ER. I wish she came back at least. Yeah, yeah. She's a character that, despite being you know almost twenty five years old, feels 
very modern, you know, and feels like she, um, she does not feel like what, at least what the image in my mind is of character, female characters are how characters like that were written in, you know, mid nineties. So it was just, I think she's been my biggest surprise, I think of the series as a whole up to this point, this go around. And then finally, our last uh, character that we said goodbye to, and this one was one I waffled back and forth on. I think I brought this up on the episode when we recorded it, um, and that would be Loretta, who we say goodbye to, in quotation marks, say goodbye to, in the season finale, uh, John Carter, MD. Uh, And this one's kind of an open-ended one, because we don't actually officially say goodbye to Loretta. We don't get an official resolution to her storyline. We're kind of left to fill in the blanks for ourselves. but it's not, she's not, I didn't think she qualified as a Bob, because, um, you know, as we mentioned throughout the season, as Loretta kept showing up, despite my uh, ill-fated remark in, I think it was the season two premiere, where I was like, yeah, this is Loretta, she's a one-off character, we'll never see her again. Oops. Hoops. Uh, she yeah, actually. We got told. Yeah, we, we got told about ourselves real fast, which we always appreciate. Um, but Loretta is with us for, I think it's like nine or ten episodes. So she's in basically like half the season. And she, like Lauren said, she would just kind of pop up occasionally. And her storyline, it starts out very hopeful. And like she's getting her life together and everything's going great. And then she is given a cancer diagnosis about halfway through the season and things kind of spiral from there. And it's in the season two finale where she's back in the hospital. Things don't seem like they're going well to the point where she's asking green if he'll be the guardian for her children, which is like, wow, like (laughs) tough, uh, tough ask there, Loretta. But you know, I think we talked about this when we recorded the episode, like what other choice does she really have? And um, so we don't, it's not like we see her die on screen. It's not like we see her get some miracle cure and everything's fine now. It's just like, you know, the last time we see her is she's talking to green, sitting on a bench outside the hospital, kind of musing about how much time she's got left. So we're, we're sort of left as the audience to fill in those blanks for ourselves. And I think it's probably a pretty reasonable expectation that she probably does pass away. Um, even if it's not spelled out in plain English on the screen. But um, I don't know. Final thoughts on Loretta? I choose to believe she's fine. Yeah, Sam. That lady's dead. I don't know what y'all are talking about. That lady is dead. Wow. Yeah. 2020 has been harsh enough without having to think about Loretta dying of cancer. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm not happy about it. I want to make that clear. I'm not rooting for that to be the case. I just think that based on all of the context clues that we are given, that that to me seems like the logical outcome. They, they certainly don't it doesn't seem like they want to give you the impression that everything turns out okay, but that could be just... Yeah, but weirder miracles happen on that show all the time, so I'm going to choose to true. believe she's fine. Very true. But And speaking of weird miracles that happen on this show, I want to talk about a weird coincidence of characters that get bobbed. These are characters that just straight up disappear without any kind of explanation. And, you know, the last recap, we muddied the bob category as Lauren... Uh, kindfully reminded Daniel. Uh, so, Daniel, if you would go through the list of characters that actually got bobbed this season. Yes, these are the characters who, if you again, if you have followed with us for any length of time, you know by now the character distinction of a bob. A bob is a character who shows up, does a, th- a thing or two for a while. They're a semi-significant oh. character. Um, or, or, you know, a character that we see over and over again, not just a patient who's there for one episode and then is gone. Um, 
they're a character who is around for a while, does a few things, and then all of a sudden just kind of fades away and we never see again and we don't get a satisfactory explanation as to why. So this is our list of the bobs of season two. We have, so we've got eight kind of tried and true, at least in my opinion, bobs for this season. First and foremost, Bob herself, the patron saint Mm. of the forgotten, Bob. We lose her. Patron saint of Bobhood. Yes, the patron saint of Bobhood, Bob herself. We lose her in uh, episode two of season two, Summer Run. Um, and yeah, I, I honestly was kind of, I, it, this is, again, goes back to the length of the season long thing. Bob does not feel like a season two character because this season is nope. so long that like, we're talking about a full 20 episodes ago is when we lost Bob. So that would be like a season and a half in Netflix length. So it feels like Bob's been gone a lot longer than she has, but yeah. Final thoughts on Bob, because I think Bob is one of the great missed opportunities of ER. Yeah. She was such a wasted character. Yeah, she could have been so much more. Agreed. Yeah, she could have easily been one of the like highlights of the year. I mean, she still is, I think. She has her moments, but there's so much more they could have done with that character that could have been really, really interesting, but wasn't to be. Um, we also lose Cookie Lewis. Uh, Thank God. Thank God. Susan Lewis's mother, Cookie, who only makes a handful of appearances. I want to say it's two, maybe three tops uh, starting in late season one. Uh, she disappears in, I believe it's season two episode, I want to say five or six, uh, and baby makes two. And, um, she's another one. She's kind of another one in a long list of characters like this throughout the show. Uh, Walt is another example of a character who will continue to be referenced, but will never actually be seen again. So we do get another appearance of Susan's dad later in the season where he references Cookie, but she's not actually seen on screen. So, and I don't think anybody, I don't think based on that reaction, when I said her name, I don't think any of us are shedding any tears that Cookie is gone forever. So good riddance. Speaking of good riddance and also characters that don't feel like they were in this season, Linda Farrell. Linda Farrell, who you may remember from season one, which is kind of where the bulk of her storyline takes place. She's the pharmaceutical rep that, uh, Doug hooks up with off and on and who actually ends up helping to sabotage Doug's relationship with Diane Leeds later in season one. Uh, she falls off the map in season two, episode seven, hell and high water where she is seen um, kind of like just having a brief conversation with Clooney at the desk and then walks out the door and is never seen again. So I know that Linda Farrell is one that I had kind of a negative opinion on, but I know, uh, Lauren and Lizzie, you guys have kind of gone back and forth on her. What were your final final thoughts on Linda? I thought she was a good pair for Doug. Yeah, I never hated her. I never, like, she was, she was as good as anyone could be for Doug at this point in I, his, you know, development, character development. I like her better than Karen. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I like her and I wish she was still around. All right, well, fair. Um, moving on from there, we've got Rolando, the desk clerk, who we lose in, I believe it's season two, episode eight, I think, Dead of Winter. Uh, another one where, uh, you know, desk clerks, you know, other than, of course, Jerry, hashtag Team Jerry. Um, other, <laughs> other than uh, Jerry and maybe to a lesser extent, Frank, the, the desk clerks uh, do sort of take a backseat role in many ways. And Rolando, I think, is 
no better illustration of that. Like Rolando was a, a character that was very much like blink and you miss him. Um, he made a handful of appearances in season one and I think an even smaller handful of appearances in season two. I, if you pressed me on it, I don't think I could name a single like Rolando anecdote or scene where it was like, Hey, he really added something, you know, it was just kind of like in and out, but we don't actually get a, an explanation as to why, or we don't get to say goodbye to him as a character. He just sort of goes home one day and never comes back. So felt like he was worthy of inclusion here. Yeah, we don't even really have time to form a big opinion on him. Yeah, no, he's he's total set dressing. He's just kind of just kind of there. Next on the list, uh, now this is somebody who equally short amount of appearances, like he's a, a total season two character. He's in and out within this uh, within the confines of season two, but is uh, somebody who we do get a chance to form an impression on, and that would be paramedic Riley Brown who we uh, say goodbye to in the penultimate episode of season two, Take These Broken Wings, uh, as he kind of confronts Carol about Shep and his whole situation. And then we see him pushing a gurney out the door, and it's like he fades into the fades into the sunlight. He's gone forever. We never see Riley again. Um, and yeah, this is a, a character, like I said, a short amount of time that he's actually on the series, but I feel like he does manage to make him make a nice little niche for himself within the within the role the 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 character tier of the paramedics like I would have I would have liked to have seen Riley progress beyond this season I was sad to find out that we weren't going to get any more of him yeah which is so funny because when he first came on I was like oh shit this guy looks like a dweeb I don't want him on here and then I'm like oh shit go Riley he was a dweeb when he first showed up yeah who wants some dinkles 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 yeah, I I really grew to enjoy Riley quite a bit, and um, I was bummed when he when he left. But uh, moving on from there, we move to Iris, Lauren's favorite guest of the season, uh, Joanna Gleason, who is I love her. She was great. She was she was great. She does a, a little. It's a very it's a mini arc. You should say you would say it's um, three episodes towards the end of the season. She's another one that we say goodbye to in Take These Broken Wings. Um, she has like a little mini fling with, uh, Mark and, um, yeah, I mean, just again, very kind of serviceable, you know, she does a really good job in the short time that she's given. And the only reason I'm including her on this list is because like, we don't see them break up. We don't see them say like, even amicably, we don't see them going their separate ways. It's just one of those things that, between seasons I, I would imagine they probably intended to keep iris around and that joanna gleason probably got a job between season two and three that made her unable to continue on as the character and that's probably why they wrote her out that's just my speculation but final thoughts on iris i wish we had had more of her she seemed like she would have been a good fit for mark and a nice confidence booster yeah i have no super strong opinions one way or the other i thought she was fine she's so sassy i know i was like she was she wasn't my favorite but i also didn't mind having her around so yeah i just want to go watch the og into the woods now so then getting into the final two bobs of the season and again this is another especially the first one here is a little bit controversial in whether or not he should be considered a bob i think he should and i make the list i don't i make i make the list so i get to decide but he says so proudly Lizzie Lizzie disagrees with me. Uh, I don't know. You be the judge. So Dr. Vucilich, he is the kind of main antagonist, I would say, of the season, other than maybe Chloe. Um, He (laughs) is kind of, he has an extended storyline with uh, Benton regarding a research study that he's performing. 
uh, we say goodbye to Dr. Vuselich in uh, the season finale, John Carter, MD, where he is in the elevator with Benton. They have a very tense exchange regarding uh, the release of the, the research study that's that's been published and uh, Benton winning the ever so prestigious resident of the year that they definitely make a point of mentioning in every single season that actually never comes up ever again, but it's fine. Um, and then he just walks out of the elevator and is never seen again. And some would argue, some being Lizzie, would argue that him walking out of that elevator is tantamount to resolution for his character and that there's a solid reason for why we never see him again. And I disagree. I think that he kind of just fades. He's one of these characters who is like name dropped a lot because we spend like half the season not seeing Vucelich, but just hearing about him because the actor Ron Rifkin just disappears halfway through the season uh, after the, after Benton makes his ethics complaint. We don't drop the storyline, but we certainly de-emphasize it to a great degree. We don't see Vucelich again until the very last episode of the season. And even then it's a brief token mention uh, or token scene rather. And then he's just gone forever. So I, I think to have a character have that much significance within the hospital and then be never seen again, to me, that that reeks of a bob. But Lauren, you're always the middleman. Tell me what you think. <laughs> Way to call me out. Um, for one, I'm shocked that the Vucelich storyline, after Benton's kicked off the study and submit eventually submits the ethics complaint i'm surprised that there isn't more quote-unquote consequences to benton for it because vucelich would know who submitted the complaint right so like i'm surprised based on how much of a living hell he makes benton's life occasionally before or you know how much vucelich giveth vucelich taketh away i'm just i'm surprised that he doesn't kind of passive aggressively pull some more shit on benton once that complaint happens so that's one thing two things of course i'm in the middle of you two on this one because i think that while, yes, he is gone and never heard from again, and for that he gets a bob, but also I think, you know, his story has served his purpose. It's a cl- it's enough closure with the sequence in the elevator that you can say, okay, technically that story has wrapped. We're not just leaving him hanging. There's a reason for him to be gone. So, like, it could go one way or the other. It is a little strange that someone of his status isn't ever mentioned again even, really. But I also think that, you know, hey, maybe he, it's feasible that, hey, maybe he just went to another hospital to continue his study. Like, it's easy enough to just be like, okay, this is what could have happened with him. We've gotten closure. Yeah. Uh, Any, anything to add to that, Lizzie? No. Uh, Lauren pretty much hit the nail on the head. I think it's a perfectly safe ending to his, to his character. I think it's a perfectly reasonable assumption. You think it's a good buy, not a good Bob. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's I think it's perfectly reasonable to assume he's just off in another department, you know, that where he doesn't really interact with Benton and company, you know. Fair, totally doing his thing. Totally fair. Get getting the, getting them dollars of que- questionable of que- questionable ethic dollar dollar bill. <laughs> what uh, questionable ethic value to uh, to the hospital? Yeah, no, I, and I I can't argue with that. One thing I was surprised by or, or was different in in reality versus in my memory was I really had built up in my head that there was a more definitive and like kind of happy ending I guess to the Vuselich storyline like I really thought that like he got exposed as a fraud and was gonna have to reap some kind of consequences for it and it really just doesn't do that like it really just kind of pitters out 
And I don't know. I, I don't know why I had that in my head that that's how that was going to play out. But what, did you, did either one of you feel like it played out differently than you, than what was in your memory or did it seem like it was exactly as you first remembered it? First off, Daniel, he's a cis white man. Of course he hasn't faced consequences. And two, being accused by like, a young no, black it, man, let's, lest we forget. A yeah. tale as old as time. Anyway, <laughs> um, no, I'd say that that's exactly as I remember it. I remember it kind of having like a not necessarily super satisfying conclusion because satisfying would be Vyuslich getting getting nailed to the wall and yeah. losing losing everything. But yeah, I was just gonna say clearly I don't remember anything about this show because I didn't even remember the Vyuslich arc. So <laughs> I don't know if I even watched this three years ago, four years ago because I remember Squat. I know who our doctors are, but these arcs, I don't know. Especially in these early seasons, it's hard to try to dig back in the memory banks and remember all these little, little vines that don't really go anywhere. But speaking of one of those little vines, our last one on the list, on the Bob list for this season, Karen Hines, who is a late addition. She only joins the cast in, I want to say it's the last like four episodes, four or five episodes of season two. And she leaves us in the season two finale, John Carter, M.D., and she is kind of Doug's late season love interests, played by uh, Mark Helgenberger, who you probably know from um, CSI. And she's, again, like we kind of touched on her a little bit earlier um, when we were talking about Linda Farrell. Like she's kind of like a less, a slightly more interesting, but less likable version of Linda Farrell. Is that fair to say? Like she has a little bit more intrigue to her probably because you know her face a little bit better than the actress who plays Linda, um, but is seems to be just as shitty, if not worse, of a person. Yeah, I definitely prefer Linda between the two of them. And it's a shame because I really like this actress on CSI, but um, here I just feel like they don't know what to do with Doug, so they just throw another woman at him. Yeah. She's fine. <laughs> she's she's creepy. It, it's cre- the whole thing's creepy, and I'm not a fan of it, but it's... Whatever. Yeah, it's a very creepy storyline, like just wholesale. But you know, it, like like Lauren said, she seems to be, she almost seems to be a plan B because for whatever reason they really cut the Doug and his dad storyline off at the knees, and like I don't know, and I probably should have added him to this list too because he's another one that I, I do think we eventually get a resolution to his storyline, even if it's not on screen. Um. But Doug's dad is another one who, like, shows up halfway through the season. We talk to him for a little while. Doug's mom, too, for that matter. There's a lot of bobs in this season. But Doug's dad shows up. They seem to be really digging into the meat of their storyline and getting to the source of of not only their personal conflict with each other, but also kind of getting to the root of why Doug is the way he is. And just as we start to make some really interesting headway and really interesting progress with that, they cut it off at the knees, have Doug's dad disappear to like Mexico or the Caribbean or something. And then all of a sudden we get Karen thrust upon us. And it's just a really strange kind of detour to that storyline. And Karen, I put her on this list as a Bob because her last appearance is as uh, the as I said, in the season two finale where she is accused by Doug of altering a prescription that he wrote for her for, I think some pain medicine. Um, she, she allegedly changes it from 10 to a hundred pills and we're never given 
a satisfactory conclusion to that storyline. We never find out if she was actually lying. Because of course she denies it when she's confronted with it and she storms off in a huff. But after she storms off in a huff, we never see her again. We never we never get confirmation from Doug that he went back and checked his prescription pad and verified the information. It just sort of gets left hanging. And so that to me is what kind of takes her over the edge into Bob territory. But she's another one that's kind of on the line or on the, the border. And because I'm an optimist, I choose not to believe she's been bobbed. I choose to believe she is traipsing around and going to other people in the Ross family tree. She's conquered. She's conquered Doug. She's conquered the father. Maybe she's going to get an uncle, a cousin. I don't know. But that lady has some plans and she's getting it in. George Clooney is a sex machine and she wants to put a quarter in. (laughs) Easily Um, the line of season two. I love it so much. I'm happy to, you know, I'm here to make everyone's life, you know, a little more enjoyable. So you do a great job, sweetie. All right, folks, uh, if you're listening to us in your favorite podcast app, uh, this is where we're going to say goodbye to you. Uh, If you are a patron, uh, you can listen. You'll be listening on and we will get into the categories, all the categories you can possibly think of that that we could ever come up with for some for the season recap. Um, If you're not a patron, uh, if you would. Highly encourage you to go to patreon.com slash setting the tone podcast. Uh, if you subscribe at the $5 level or above, uh, you will get access to the rest of this episode as well as uh, a lot of other cool stuff. Otherwise, we will see you again next Thursday uh, for season three, episode one, which is called, titled Dr. Carter, I presume. So we'll see you next week then. Hey, STT fans, want even more from the Setting the Tone crew? Si, senorita. Then head on over to patreon.com slash setting the tone podcast and become a patron today. You set the tone. You'll get exclusive access to show notes, season recap episodes, bonus video content. No, no, there would have to be more. As well as audio commentaries for movies starring your favorite ER cast members. You think we need one more? All right, we'll get one more. And best of all, you'll be first to gain access to Setting the Tone, The Lounge, the monthly bonus show where you get a peek behind the trauma room curtain and hear the latest and greatest happenings in the lives of the Setting the Tone hosts. That's it. That's all there is to it. So it's a problem. You still here? (laughs) For as little as a dollar a month, you can help support one of your favorite podcasts and get even more great content. It's enough to make even Benton crack a smile. When did it start raining?